Okay, now, Psalm 104. If you go pretty much to the middle of the Bible, you'll hit the Psalms. Uh, but more specifically, if you want to use the Bible that's there in the pew or the chair, it's on page 502. 502. Outside of Genesis 1, this psalm is the greatest celebration, one of the greatest celebrations of God's creation. I would, I would pit uh, Job uh, 38, last chapters of 38 and early ones of 40 uh, as, as matching it in many ways. But this is one of the great places uh, where the glory of God in creation is proclaimed and enjoyed. <clears throat> You'll notice that Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 end, uh, begin and end the same way. So they're probably, uh, perhaps 104 was written uh, to be, to team up with 103, where 103 focuses on the salvation of God and 104 on the creation of God. But they both begin, bless the Lord, O my soul, and end that way as well. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains as your rebuke. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches from your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted... In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. 
Here's the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both great, small and great. They, there go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. And let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O Lord, open up our eyes by your spirit that we might all the more this day, even as we've confessed to you the desire that we would recognize your goodness and greatness in creation, And be drawn more and more to worship you and give up our lives to this glorious God who has made all things and sustains all things. This we pray for Jesus' glory and honor. Amen. So, God made bats, right? Not just the vampire bat, but you can look online and watch him do his little hideous thing, by the way. Um... But they're the most plentiful species besides rodents, okay? Like they form one-fifth of all mammals in the world, over a thousand species spread out all over the earth except in the colder climates. Why? In New Zealand, the only mammal that hasn't been introduced by man is the bat. The largest is the Bismarck flying fox. I love that name. His wingspan is about like this. And it goes all the way down to the bumblebee bat, whose body is the size of a jelly bean. That's smaller than a bumblebee, actually, right? Most bats eat insects, right? The little brown bat eats 1,200 mosquitoes every hour. That's one every three seconds. I'm just counting, you know, how many mosquitoes that would be. <clears throat> the 1.5 Mexican freetail bats that live in Cong- under the Congress Avenue Bridge in Austin eat 30,000 pounds of insects every night. And then those same Mexican freetail bats that form the largest colony in the world, uh, that's in the Bracken Cave in Texas, That's 20 million bats, and they eat 20 tons of insects. That's 400,000 pounds every night. And, of course, most bats find their prey, especially insects, by echo... uh, echolocation, right? Sending out signals. 
And if their prey is a little farther away, they send out one per second. But as they get closer, it gets up to 200 signals a second. And because they've got it coming into both ears, they can see what direction it is, what direction it's moving, how big it is, whether it's going up and down or sideways, and they zero in on it. In a dark cave with thousands of other bats flying around them, they can shoot their echo off and it bounces back in the midst of all the other thousands of signals. They just read theirs and they don't run into each other. Another interesting bat is the bulldog bat. He shoots his echoes, uh, his signals off the water and he finds the little rippling of the fish that are below the water and he snatches them up. So, you think of this sophisticated echolocation of the bat and everything else that we haven't even begun to talk about in the bat and you have to say, Oh Lord, how manifold are your works? In wisdom have you made them all including bats. <laughs> so the first thing that we're going to look at in terms of themes, principles in this passage is that God's glory comes through his creation. God's glory comes through his creation. That great cry from verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. What glory is he talking about? He's talking about the glory that he's been uh, in, uh, doing an exposition of this whole time. This glory of the Lord that's manifested all through creation. And so our view, the Bible's view is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in perfect joy forever had this outward focus, this outward show of this beauty that was within the Trinity. And so in creation, his infinite delight in his own glory was then manifested in the creation. His unlimited beauty now had an outward face in creation. As Joe Rigney and I recommend his book, The Things of Earth... Creation is glorious, created shafts of divine glory. As the light of the sun is refracted by water droplets into a rainbow, so creation refracts the glory of God, allowing the full spectrum of his beauty to be displayed for the knowledge and enjoyment of his people. That's what creation is for, to break out. For our enjoyment, the glory of God. If you think of it as a symphony, and you think of all the notes of the symphony, it means it includes notes of super thin corn chips and Trader Joe's salsa. It includes the notes of two babies laughing at each other for five or ten minutes as you can see on the internet. The note of a cardinal against the snow. The note of a strawberry sweet biscuit shortcake. The note of a jetliner flashing across the Atlantic at 40,000 feet. The note of the Golden Gate Bridge. 
The, go, the note of the aura borealis or a back rub or Downton Abbey or the 4 by 100 relay or a pod of whales. His glory breaks out everywhere. Just a few notes of the symphony of God's glory. This refracted glory of God. And so his perfections or beauty are brought to our own minds and senses seemingly in unlimited ways through all of these means. It's through his constant accomplishment and deeds and creation that he unveils himself. John Calvin said the world was no doubt made that it might be a theater of the divine glory. Or as Hopkins writes, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. And as Jesus Lewis, who writes so wonderfully about this, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. (laughs) You're always brushing up against God. The nearness of God in every created thing and in culture itself. So he manifests himself in the enjoyment of pizza or kissing or waves on a beach or Lyle Lovett. God thinks that creation and culture is a fitting vehicle to bring to us his glory, you see. Creation is a vessel of his glory. He intended it for that. And he made it the vehicle to bring to us his glory. And Doug Wilson in one of his blogs says, The grandeur of God can flame out from anything. Please remember that. The grandeur of God can flame out from anything. And faith can dig it out of anything. And even the direct grace we receive in worship is a radiant grace spreading out so that it affects everything else, so that everything becomes a mirror that reflects the glory of God. We really are living in the presence of God where it is possible in the words of Ephesians 5.20 to give thanks for all things, for everything. So, creation. In creation, God shows forth his glory. And this second point just is an extension of that and really a different way to explore it. Therefore, all of creation is a communication. And we're not reading those two passages, but I included Psalm 19 and Romans 1 so that you can... Be sure and read them because both of those passages speak about this. Psalm 19, his voice, the knowledge of God is pouring forth every day. Like like a great voice just announcing glory every day, day in and day out, 24-7. 
And Romans 1 says that the, the, the beauty and glory of God is clearly seen in what has been made. We're without excuse because it is communicated to us in the creation. And so it's not just in the beginning in creation, but in every minute of the world, in every part of the world. There is no, nothing in creation that it has by itself, any fruitfulness or energy uh, or creativity. This all comes from God. And when we see it in creation, it's the evidence of his presence. It's the evidence of his constant working, his constant involvement in creation. Jonathan Edwards regarded the world and everything in it as a kind of language so that it was like the word itself, full of the images of divine things, as full of language as words themselves. So it's always speaking so that a sunrise is a word to you about God. It is a message to you. Clouds and laughter and honey and pearls and chairs and lemonade, as Rigney says. They're all messages. They're all announcements of the glory of God. So the sounds of birds or a Titian painting or expositions of the glory of God. They're sermons, lectures. They're little booklets in which we read the glory of God. They're communication of God to us. And so in one of his uh, great passages, one of my favorite passages in Lewis, he says that we should make every pleasure a channel of adoration. Now, that is a challenge. Every pleasure in creation and culture, and of course, culture, knowing that there is sin involved in culture, but the the legitimate enjoyment of it, to make it a channel of adoration. So that we don't only have a pleasure, but we read our pleasures. And so we recognize the divine source in that pleasure. He says, this heavenly fruit is redolent of the orchard where it grew. This sweet air whispers of the country from which it blows. It is a message. We know we're being touched by a finger of that right hand at which there are pleasures forevermore. That's what Psalm 16 says. There are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. And when you touch pleasures in this world, you're being touched by the finger of that God. To experience the tiny theophany is itself to adore. I love that phrase, the tiny theophany. Every enjoyment is a tiny theophany. And it means not only gratitude, Lord, thank you that I'm standing in front of this magnificent tiger. It's, it's amazing. But it also brings you to adoration. Who are you that you would make this tiger? Who are you? I've said that many times standing before Tigers or ocelots or leopards. Uh, 
hearing a lion roar. Who does this? (laughs) Who makes these things? So creation is this message. It's really this invitation to be drawn into the divine life, right? Just a message, but this invitation, come and worship. Come and admire this God who has made this. So, whether it's fish tacos or tickle fights or afternoon naps or Cajun seafood or back rubs or wool house shoes or church softball, which we got to see this past week. As Rigney says of these things, they're all the communication of his fullness to us. Do we see it? See? Are we being given eyes to recognize it and to live, to cultivate awe, as the title says, to cultivate adoration? A new fly recently was discovered in Thailand. It's the new world's smallest fly. You know how tiny a fruit fly is, right? Just tiny little thing. This is one-fifth the size of a fruit fly. Smaller than a grain of salt, smaller than a flake of pepper. If you see a house fly beside it, it looks like Godzilla, you know. <laughs> and the fruit fly, I mean the little fly is as big as the very tip of the house fly's foot. He's also pretty brutal because they say with tiny ants, he uh, decapitates them and use their head casings for his home. <laughs> Rough little guy. <laughs> but it reminds me of what a man said about just admiring one of God's creation, a midge. And this is smaller than a midge. He called it a helicopter in a thimble. A helicopter. He makes a helicopter that can fly around in a thimble. And we know how difficult it is to make micro things. God has made them from the beginning. His glory is shown. And because we're discovering more and more, especially in the past several hundred years... Glory just breaks out again and again and again and again in new ways. So, if all things, if if God, by his creation, makes known his glory so that all of creation is a communication, is a message from God about himself, then finally, we get to deeply, passionately enjoy him in his creation. And the alternative is judgment. Okay? You get to passionately enjoy God and his creation. And the alternative is judgment. You see, God's love for God caused him, as many have said, to create the world. And God enters into his world. The only word that, the only time it's the word rejoice, the verb rejoice is ever applied to God is in this passage, in the whole scripture. Rejoice over your works. Much like he saw that 
what he made, and it is, was good. He rejoiced over his work in creation. He continues to rejoice over his work. Are we not going to enter into that rejoicing? Are we going to refuse to love what God himself loves? And so we should linger in creation. Certainly, this is what the psalmist does. He lingers over creation. Imagine, as he gives the illustration, applauding after three notes of a symphony. Oh, you're so great. Whoever wrote this, you just can't even listen to the symphony. You don't even know what the symphony was, where it was going. You didn't even hear the first theme of the symphony. You sit and you listen and you take the whole thing in. And then in response to having meditated and focused and enjoyed his creation, then there can be thunderous applause. And if we think that we can ignore his show of glory in favor of only church, then we could be facing judgment. Because that is the original sin in Romans 1. They suppress the truth. It's called the truth that was revealed in the world about the glory of God. And it says about mankind, they did not honor him as God. They didn't thank him. In short, they would not enjoy God in his creation. They would not recognize his glory in creation. But that's the, the feel of this psalm is lingering, right? And, and the beautiful metaphors he uses to describe creation. Like light is first on the scene as God's clothes, right? And then, oh yeah, it gives light to the earth as well. But he's wearing it like a garment. And his house... You know, Treehouse Masters talks about, uh, has tree houses built for adults. His is a sky house, as described in the first verses. And his cha- he's, he's founded it in these chambers, these upper chambers, like this loft, this penthouse up there that God has taken for himself. And it's there so that he can be totally involved in what's happening. And his clouds are his limousine. And he travels all around the world. And the winds and the lightnings are his messengers. That's the beauty as he's meditating on the majesty of God in his creation. And he founds the earth on water. And he protects the earth from the encroachment of the waters. And not only protects, but then he uses those waters to supply the needs of all of his creation. He operates the sprinkling systems of all the earth. He's the gardener. He's the caretaker of every animal. And he provides food and sustenance and homes in trees and mountains. He even provides 20 tons of insects every night for just one colony of bats. You know, it's a, it's a pretty complicated thing to, in, if you manage a zoo to feed your animals every day. You just imagine all of the many animals and the planning of feeding those animals. God does it on that gigantic scale every day, feeding every single one of them until he decides to take away their life. 
That's God in this world. That's the meditation here, you see. The meditation, the lingering over all that God is and all that God does. The lions work the night shift like the bats do. They look to God for their food, he says. Golding puts it like this. The night's, the night's work done and the family's provision being one, lions can go home and relax. <laughs> it's man's turn. And of all creation in this magnificent tapestry in which every thread contributes to the demonstration of God's wisdom, it speaks of God's possessions in his creatures. Everything we see is his stuff. Everything in culture is his stuff because we made it with his stuff and our minds are his creation. Everything is his stuff. Everything is his possession. And even Leviathan, which in pagan uh, accounts was this primeval sea dragon that (coughs) opposed God. (coughs) Excuse me. Here he's just another creature that God made, and he's cavorting in the ocean. And some translations, and you see even in the ESV, the alternative translation, which you form to play with. Perhaps that's the translation. God just plays with the whales, plays with the great white shark as they cavort in the sea. That's how great he is. And he provides for every creature just like he does the lion. Life is in his hand. When he decides, he takes it away. And so when he says, I'm, I will sing of the glory of the Lord... And may my meditation be pleasing. He says, I will sing like this as long as I live. I will keep singing of his creation and meditating on it till the day I die. Oh, Lord, may my meditation be pleasing. What meditation? Meditation upon his creation. So we must linger, even loiter. <laughs> Here, loitering is required. <laughs> Loiterers wanted, apply within. Learn to loiter. Lessons on loitering. Listen, linger or be cast off the earth. That's the message of Psalm 104. Linger and enjoy or be cast off the earth. Only lingerers will inherit the earth. Only those who enjoy this glorious God. And Adam's, the example of Adam is a perfect example of the, the, the love of God, love for God responding to a gift when Eve was brought to him. Wasn't that he forgot God? Almost looks like it, doesn't it? Whoa. In the Hebrew, that's, that's the translation. Uh, wow, whoa, all those things. Just exclaiming in this first poem. First utterance of a, of a man, of a human being, was a poem about this beautiful aspect of creation, his own wife. That's a great example of how we're to respond to every single good thing we enjoy in this world. 
to write poems about it like this psalmist did, to sing about it, to meditate on it, for it to fill our hearts. And so we look for God's glory in everything. Here's yet another list from Wilson. Beer, mowing the lawn, sex with your wife or husband, brown gravy, sitting on the front porch, listening to a good poem, making movies, getting out the guitar, going to church, getting a foot rub. Just keep it going, okay? Keep it going. God broadcasts all the time on every channel his glory. The grandeur of God can flame from anything. So if we refuse to enjoy God and his creation, we're like a child who's given this precious, well-thought-out gift from the parent. They unwrap it, they throw it aside, and they run to the parent and say, Oh, it doesn't matter. That gift doesn't matter. I just want to be with you. Our relationship's all that matters. And really, by doing that, now see, he could do it two ways. One, he could focus on the gift and just grab it out of her hand and walk away and later be mean to his mom while he's enjoying the gift. That's just idolatry, right? Focusing on the good things of earth while we reject God. The other thing is to not enjoy the gift and reject the giver. And Wilson has a real comical picture of all of us in the new heavens and new earth. And he's laid all of this gift for us to enjoy forever. And all we're doing is stand there and looking at him. And he says, you people are so hard to shop for. (laughs) (laughs) But I like that because it underscores the fact creation is a gift to you. It's a gift to you. And like the mom who gives her son who never had seen a Rubik's Cube and she knows he's analytical and he's good at math and he sits down and enjoys the Rubik's Cube for three hours and she just enjoys him enjoying it and he's really just totally focused on it. He's not really thinking about her per se, but she's there and he loves her. And then after he's done, he says, Mom, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. It's okay to focus on creation. It's okay to enjoy his gift. I love the way Rigney puts it this way, is that if you've got several things in front of you, you can be looking at one and then the other and another and another. And in this way, God's always in front of you. You don't ever turn away from him. But as he's in front of you, you enjoy his gifts in his presence. Always, sometimes stopping from three hours of concentration at work for a brief prayer. But your concentration at work is a Godward thing. Because you're involving yourself in the creation that he's given to you to enjoy. And yes, we can make an idol. That's a whole different sermon out of creation. But I'm stressing what Psalm 104 is stressing. The enjoyment of this gift that he's given to us. So that concentrating completely on the other person. Or to concentrate on the culture before you. <coughs> Sorry, I wish I I need to cover this when I cough. I'm sorry. This is an allergy cough, so I don't think I'll make any of you sick. I hope he doesn't serve communion today, right? (laughs) 
And what's interesting, as several people point out, is that God delegates creation to minister to the hearts of his people. Almost everything seems to be a delegation, either through people or through creation or through culture, how God gets at us because we're bodily people. And so Chesterton says, you say grace before meals, all right. But I say grace before the play and the opera and grace before the concert and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. (laughs) So, in the New Testament, we find out that this creator took flesh. We find out that this creator humbled himself to die for those who had rejected him as creator. To suffer and to bear their punishment. And then to be raised into a new kind of human being so that we could one day be raised to a new kind of human being so fully restored that we could enjoy God directly and enjoy him perfectly as he manifests himself to us from each other and from his creation. That's the extent to which he died so that you would be restored to enjoy his glory forever. In Psalm 35, there was always, when Dave Letterman would do these reports of Osama bin Laden, it's always comical. And he'd have Osama bin Laden uh, voiceover. Maybe he was selling cars or trying to sell you property in Arizona and all this. And right before he would end his sales pitch, he would say, oh, yes, death to America. Just out in the blue, you know, like he's selling you cars and then, oh, yeah, death to America, like he's getting back to who he really is. And this, this, I know it's a bad analogy, but <laughs> in this whole thing of glory to God and enjoyment of God, then out of nowhere, oh, yeah, let sinners be consumed from the earth. Just think, did you have heartburn at that point or what? You know, what happened? Did you just suddenly burst out with... Oh, yes, let sinners all die and be removed from the earth. I think it's because he's thinking, if anyone will not enjoy this glorious God, he must be removed. He must be removed from this earth, which he refuses to enjoy for the glory of God. That's what Christ has suffered and died. To restore you to himself and to restore you to his glorious creation. Let us pray. Oh, Father.